0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week, and thank you for joining us every week at the same time. I trust you're being blessed by what we're sharing from the Gospel of John. We uh, finished a, I I think it was something like, uh, we, we did 28 videos on the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus said, I am. I am the bread. I am the light, et cetera. I'm not going to go back into reviewing that, except to say that when I finished that series, uh, I just began to dig around in the book of John more and more, and it just continued to unfold. And so we have started a new series, and we're dealing with this. We went clear back to the book of John. Last week we started talking about, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And my primary thought was that I begin to share with you is that John's gospel is different than the other gospels in that it does not start with the lineage of Christ. And it's not just speaking to a Jewish audience. It takes you all the way back before the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, or any of those covenants, and starts at the very beginning. Because what I want to show you as we progress through the book of John is that God had in mind all along, not just to touch the nation of Israel, but that the the mystery of His will, the sacred secret that was hidden, according to Colossians 1, I believe in 26, is that God would be in and among the Gentiles as well. It was that God had... in and God had planned to include all men in His redemptive work in process. And when you take a look at the first creation, it helps you get some insight into what God is doing in His new creation. And so to me those are very, very powerful points that John makes. So John doesn't start with the lineage of Christ. He starts with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, what we began to show you last week was that when God began to create, I will go, to, I will take that uh, over to the, the Gospel, or not to Gospel, but I'll take you to the book of Genesis and just show you this is almost a repeat verbiage of John 1. Because in Genesis 1-1, that was John 1-1, in Genesis 1-1 it says, In the beginning God created heaven and earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And the evening and the morning (coughs) were the first day. Now what I begin to show you is that first of all, he He was before all things. That God had purposed even... Uh, Before the foundation of the earth, God had all of His ducks in a row and He had intended to include all men in His work of redemption, because the Scripture said He was the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. So God had a redemptive plan in place even before the fall occurred. You know, one of the things that I want to say also in this, and and, uh, I don't want to chase too many rabbits. But a lot of times we have a lot of stuff that we fall out over as far as sovereignty is concerned, and it's the big argument between Calvinism and Arminianism, or if you will, free will and sovereignty. But when you start looking at things like predestination, Uh, You know, it can get really sticky as far as, you know, some would think, well, God predetermined that some, are predestined that some would go to heaven and that some would go to hell. But if you look at it in the context of what it's written, especially in Ephesians in Colossians, It was not that God had predetermined some to go to heaven or some to go to hell, but that He had predetermined in the predeterminate counsel of God the inclusion of both Jew and Gentile. So that was what was in the heart of God and what He predetermined, because whom uh, He did foreknow, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. And so my question would be, who did He not know beforehand? And that's a really deep and profound question to ask. And I'll let you ponder on that yourself, because that would be a whole series in itself. But as I begin to look at this, uh, this, this, this thing uh, in John, and along with uh, the book of Genesis, of course in Genesis we see a historic creation. We see God creating the heavens and the earth. But as I shared with you last week, the word beginning here in John, or Genesis 1, is the Hebrew word firstfruit. Now we know that Jesus is the firstborn, and He's the firstfruits of them that slept. As I begin to show you on down the process of, of what we were sharing yesterday, or the last time we were on the air, is that, that Adam was the first prototype. And when God began to create in the invisible realm what He was in the invisible realm, Adam, who was the first fruit of that creation, had the best of both worlds in him. He was made from dust, yet he had the breath of God's nostrils in him. He was both human and the divine. He was the interface that connected the human and the divine. It would have, it, he knew angels by their name. He walked with God in the cool of the day, which is the Hebrew word ruach, which means the breath of uh, uh, the, the spirit uh, of the day. So Adam walked with God in unbroken fellowship without any guilt or condemnation until he moved in disobedience, and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God told him not to eat from. And when he ate from that tree, he became an alien in his own mind, and he felt like in his thinking he was separated from God, although God pursued him. But the connection was disconnected, and the heavens and the earth seemed to be separated, while the heaven of heavens was for God, and the earth was made for the sons of men. But in the redemptive work of Christ, the last Adam, who was both human and divine, both earth and heaven, was created when God leaned over and saw a virgin Mary and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. And God planted in the womb of a little virgin girl the seed of the divine God so that she conceived by the Holy Spirit. And once again in that merging... Of the human and the divine, there was a birthing that took place. And His name was called Jesus, and He was the Word made flesh. He was the very thought, the very idea of God. He was the Word made flesh. The Word is more than the written, tangible scriptures. Jesus is the Word made flesh that dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And amazingly enough, and I've probably said this a lot of times on the air, but I'm going to keep on repeating it because I believe it's worth repeating, is that when, when Adam disconnected from that, that relationship, became an alien in his own mind, an enemy in his own mind, and he thought God was his enemy, instead of running to God, he ran from God. Now let me just say something to you as well. I don't think that God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden to trick Adam or just put it there so it was the no-no thing. I think God would have in proper order allowed him to eat from that tree if he would not have put it there for some purpose. He would have not put it there. Now this is kind of a little bit of a new growth concept for me as well. But what I believe was happening was that God did not want him to get the knowledge of good and evil before he ate from the tree of life. Because in other words, if you think you're going to get your life from performance-based Christianity and the knowledge of good and evil, for by the law was the knowledge of sin. But Paul said, when I got the knowledge of it, sin revived and I died. It produced the same thing in Paul that it produced in Adam is that when you have the law without the life, you, you end up, you end up being, uh, uh, the thing that was meant to be good becomes death to you. Now when you get to the book of Hebrews, it says that we need to desire the sincere milk of the word, and the sincere milk of the word is the word of righteousness. Because those that need milk, and not, and not meet are those who are not exercised in the word of righteousness. So in the New Covenant we find out that our righteousness is not based on our performance. It's based on a gift because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. It's a gift. What part of gift I don't we understand? It was the gift of righteousness. Here's a kingdom word. We reign not when we get to heaven, we reign in life, and here's a powerful thing that must be emphasized, by the one Christ Jesus. So my reigning is through the life of the one who lives and resides in me, so that when I go back to the book of Hebrews, and I have my senses exercised, Once I understand the word of righteousness and I desire the sincere milk of the word and I realize I'm righteous not based on what I've done, then I have my senses exercised to be able to discern both good and evil. So that in other words, there is a sense of knowing the difference between good and evil, but the knowledge of good and evil can only make you see where you're failing and bring shame and guilt. But once you have the life of this thing and realize you're in right relationship with God, then there's a discernment of knowing what is good and evil and of being able to walk not by the rules, but from the relationship of the life that we now have, because in Him was life, not rules, not, not law, in Him was life and the life became the light of men. So that the gospel is not just about a law you have to keep. It's about receiving a life that will keep you. And see, I think this has been the deception of the enemy down through history is because he uses the weapon of condemnation under the law to form it against us to make us run from God rather than to run to God. Because once again, I want to emphasize this. It's, this, th- this is not about a law you have to keep. It's about receiving a life that will keep you. See, un- under the law, you can get behavior modification with rules. But you can only get heart transformation by relationship with God. It is the difference between Romans 12, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Law will conform you grace will transform you. Both of them will cause your behavior to change, but one is living out of a relationship, and the other one is living out of the rules. And what I want you to see is in the process of learning how to live out of this relationship, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because He puts you right smack dab in the middle of this new creation that is both human and divine. It is not an accident to me that Adam has a garden and he turns it into a graveyard, and Jesus takes a graveyard and turns it into a garden. Adam has access to a tree of life, and he chooses a tree of death, and Jesus chooses a tree of death and makes it a tree of life. Everything Jesus does in His redemptive work, He does it in a garden. He prays in a garden. He prays till He sweats. He sweats until He bleeds. He bleeds until one drop of blood from the divine brow touches a cursed earth and puts the curse in reverse that says you've got to earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. It's no longer about earning. It's about receiving the free gift of righteousness and the grace that causes us to reign in life by one Christ Jesus. The Scripture goes on to teach us that the first Adam was not deceived. The woman was deceived, and she took the tree uh, of the knowledge of good and evil out of deception. Adam was not deceived, but what he did, he did out of rebellion. If I could just have you allow me a little poetic liberty here today on the program, let me say this to you. I believe that I, I really believe that, uh, that, the, that Michael probably, just, just kind of think about what was going on in heaven. I could see God looking down at his, his prototype, his man in the earth. And when he looks at this man, and he sees him, he sees the woman deceived, but he sees the woman offering him the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When he does that, I could see God saying to the angels in heaven, He's going to leave us. He's going to leave all the splendors of heaven. He's going to leave us today. And I could see Michael look over and say, how do you know he's going to leave us? And God would say, it's because it is what I would do. Now wait a minute, don't don't quit me yet. It is what I would do. Here's the problem. The first man left the splendors of heaven to be joined to His wife out of rebellion. But Jesus would leave the splendors of Heaven to be joined to His wife out of obedience. That's the vast difference. The first Adam left the splendors of Heaven to be joined to His woman Eve out of rebellion. And Jesus left the splendors of Heaven to restore what we lost out of obedience, go get your bride and restore me. we'll see this in the first sign that Jesus does in the book of John because his first miracle is at a wedding. Oh, I'm so excited to get to this stuff. I am just, I'm just bursting at the seams. His first miracle is at a wedding. He's going to use it as a picture of his wedding. Wow, that just, that thrills me. I am so glad he left the splendors of glory because he refused to live without me. Man, I love that. He loved me so much, he thought, you're to die for. Wow, that's just powerful to me that he would think like that about me. And I thought about even the Scripture where I, I preach this so many times, but even out of Matthew 11 where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, And I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I know we can use that as a yoke of oxen, depending on what you're looking at there, being yoked together with the Lord. But I really thought about one of the things that I believe was the Apostle Paul said when he said, Be not unequally yoked together. The yoke could also be seen as a marriage. And let me tell you something this is powerful to me. He must think you are his equal. If he didn't think you were his equal, he would have never married you. Man, that's pretty powerful right there. Because if he did, he's unequally yoked. Man, he thinks you're to die for. And let me just tell you that the whole Genesis creation and fall in Genesis 1 is reversed in John 1.1 because the last Adam is on the scene. The last Adam is where the heavens and the earth are gathered together in one. The human and the divine merge in the person of Jesus Christ. And He is where where God and man meet together and the interface is reconnected. And the heavens that were shut for 400 years from Malachi were opened at the River Jordan when the Spirit of God descended like a dove on Him. And when the Spirit descended like a dove on Him Let me tell you something, it said to John, right here is the new world. Right here is where the heavens are reopened and never to be closed again. There's an open heaven if you are in Christ. That's so powerful to me. Now let me just go ahead and show you that in this whole progression that what happens is in Ch- uh, Genesis 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. This word deep is the same word we get abyss or, or pit. And, uh, and it says, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the world. And God said, Let there be light. there was light. And God saw that the light was good and divided the light from the darkness And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now let me just show you that what I begin to see happening here is that first of all He starts out with, here's the deal, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But whatever transpired between verse 1 and verse 2 could be debated for eons. The issue here is that verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the great deep. Now, that could be talking about the fall of Adam here or how it was as God was beginning to shape and form. But what I see here is the process of creation in the Old Covenant, but the process of new creation in the New Covenant. Because as a result of the fall of Adam, the earth was without form and void, darkness was upon the face of the great chaos began to ensue and was on the face of the earth. So chaos, listen, my my good friend, Charles Simpson, and I were talking one night before my conference started, and he simply mentioned this to me, and it, it, it created a whole new series that I did on chaos. And he started saying, chaos is the end of what's not working anymore, but it's the beginning of something brand new. And man, my spirit just exploded with that. And I started thinking about Romans chapter 1, because it talks about in Romans chapter 1 how that when men knew God, they wouldn't glorify Him as God, but worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, and began to make gods after their own image and after their likeness. I am concerned today with a liberalism of of theology that's trying to recreate a palatable 21st century God and, and, and at the expense even of discrediting the Scripture, I'm just not on board with that. Now, maybe I'm not enlightened, I don't know. But I'm just not on board with that. And I, I, I believe that uh, what we need to do is see God being unfolded, though, through consecutive ages. And they may not have had a full revelation of God because God was unfolding Himself. And when it says, no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, He's seen Him and declared Him. It's because there's places throughout the Scripture where you say they saw God. I mean, it was Jacob, a- Abraham, Moses. And, you know, I saw on a TV show one day, they were trying to discredit the Word, and it was like on this show where they were talking about, well, uh, who, who's right? John one or did they see God? Well, I think what's the clear answer is that Jesus had the full revelation of God. But all of these pieces that were unfolded, a dispensation is simply any period of time in which God chooses to dispense a revelation of Himself. And so as we see through a glass darkly, in other words, we see the shadow, Jesus unveils the substance of God. Uh, So so I I believe there's a a continuing unfolding of the purposes of God. But when I started to see in Romans 1 that the recreation of God, in other words, when we don't want to change, we create a God that fits what I want Him to be instead of changing to be what He's like. We're either changing God to be like us, or we're going to change to be like Him. Now the end result of Romans 1, if you go through that, he says that because they would not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to uncleanness, to defile their bodies. And and, uh, there was a list of stuff that they did there. And as they came down to this said, God gave them over, and finally He gave them over uh, to a reprobate mind, and uh, because what had happened was their mind had become void of any kind of judgment. And, uh, but then what God did, He's turned them over. See, in other words, we, there's a lot of stuff that happens to people that is not God doing it to them directly, but it is a result of their own actions. In other words, if you are in chaos right now, and you are in darkness, it is because you have refused to retain God in your knowledge and get a full revelation of God, because that same chapter ends by saying this, for the goodness of God leads men to repent. Now, I, I, I know that that is quoted over and over and over, and I am a grace preacher, and I quote it too. But the next part of that verse, nobody ever wants to quote the next part of it. It said, but after your hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath against the day of wrath, in other words, what happens is if you continue to do that, there's a day of judgment, I think is the word that's used there, and is the Greek word crisis. In other words, it's not God directly said, I'm out to kill you. It is God giving you over to the chaos and the crises that takes place in your life. Because the moment it gets bad enough, it's like a drug addict coming to his bottom. When you get enough chaos and darkness, what happens is, is that once you get that chaos and darkness, you start coming to a place that chaos becomes the end of what's not working anymore. Uh, Man, there's a lot here today. But even when Jesus comes on the scene in, in the Gospels, it is chaos. It is the end of what's not working anymore, namely the law of Moses. And He's about to breathe into this situation something brand new called a light that is the light. He's about to speak into the chaos of light. And when I started seeing that, that the chaos is a result of our actions. In other words, if what you are doing repetitively is bringing you into chaos, maybe it's time to look to the goodness of God that will lead you to change your mind, because God is always standing there in the midst of your chaos saying, are you done yet? Are you tired? Are you weary? Have you had, have you wrecked your life enough? He's he's like Forrest Gump, man. He'll take you back when all you got's one dying breath, but because stupid is what stupid does. But the reality of it is, is you could have had the unconditional love of God your whole entire life, but you've wrecked your life, but God's standing there in the midst of it saying, and when I started seeing Genesis 1, and the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, that described my life when I came to Jesus. That probably describes most of our lives. Now, not everybody has to come to Jesus in chaos. But I'm telling you that we don't easily repent. We don't easily change our mind until we find out what I'm doing is not working anymore. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's finances, whether it's health, my relationship with God. And in the middle of chaos, what I saw in Genesis 1 are the steps of recovery out of chaos because out of chaos comes cosmos, order, government, and the kingdom. In other words, the moment you stop and realize this, this lifestyle has produced in me. That's why I don't feel it necessarily nec- to just constantly harp on people's sin. Is because Romans 1 tells you all of it comes to an end. You seem to get by with it for a while but it comes to an end. But right in the midst of that chaos, the Spirit, here's the first step, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. God begins to hover. The implication here is like a chicken sitting on an egg. God hovers. He moves. He moves on the face of the waters. He begins to move by His Spirit. Whether you know it or not, even in your chaos, if you're listening to me today and you're in the middle of chaos, I want you to know the Spirit of God is always moving and hovering and He's dealing with you and wooing you and drawing you. And right in the midst of that chaos, as God begins to move over the face of the waters, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Light begins to reverse the chaos. Now remember John 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So He came to give you a life and a light so that the people that sat in darkness, according to the Scriptures, saw a great light. And so that light was Him, and that light was good, and when the light comes, it starts to divide the darkness and from uh, the, 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 it starts to divide the, the light from the darkness, and then that's the first day. The evening and the morning were the first day. It's the beginning of a brand new day. Let God reverse the things in your life as we see this powerful truth of His new creation. It's a brand new day. We're out of time. I trust you've enjoyed this today. Take a moment to call the number on the screen if you'd like to sow a seed into the ministry. Go to our website. It's an easy way to give via PayPal or you can write a check or money order and send it into the address that are on the screen. We do need your help to take the gospel around the world. If you appreciate what we're saying and you're feeding from our ministry, please sow back into it because that is what helps us and enables us to take the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of His grace around the world. Tune in again tomorrow or or, uh, next week at the same time, I'm sorry, uh, as we continue this series. God bless you. I am very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the Gospel is not about a law you have to keep, it is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear, it is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules, it's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.